Hello, I'm Chris Kreitschu, and this is New Rust Station, a show about the Rust programming language and the people who use it. This is a news episode for the Rust 1.23 release. As with most Rust releases, there are no huge features landing today. The highlights of the features that are landing are just some nice improvements. You'll note that I say almost the exact same thing every time I talk about Rust updates, and really that's the way it should be. It's good that it's rare for big features like Mirror, for example, to land. That's part of Rust's stability story. The most notable feature in 1.23 is to do with Rust Dock. For most of 2017, the Docs team has been working to move Rust Dock over to use the pulldown CMark crate. The pulldown CMark crate tracks the common mark spec. Previously, Rustock used the Hoedown C bindings crate, and Hoedown does not track the common mark spec. Pulldown C mark is also a pure Rust crate, so there are a lot of synergies here. For the last many months, Rustock on Nightly has built both the Pulldown C mark version and the Hoedown based version, compared them, and spit out any differences so that people could fix their docs. As of 1.23, Stable does the same, in preparation for the final switchover in some future release. You should build your docs if you have a crate out there and check for any differences. A couple other little niceties that landed in 1.23. First, there are two places where things unexpectedly didn't work before, or at least didn't work the way you'd expect. Those are auto traits in trait objects and type checking for some binary operations. Those work now. If you want details, I'll have links to the specific issues in the show notes. Second, the compiler now suggests that you rename an import if it clashes with other imports. So if you import my module colon colon my item and also import some other module colon colon my item, Rust will now helpfully suggest for that second import that you do import some other module colon colon my item as other my item. So that not only do you know what went wrong, you also get some idea how to fix it. This is an especially nice change for new Rust stations. It's compiler as teacher instead of compiler as antagonist or compiler as scold. It's the kind of thing I love to see in error messages. Speaking of error messages, Rust also displays its errors correctly when there are either extra wide or zero width characters in the error message. And yes, you heard that right. If you're not familiar with either, suffice it to say that there are printing characters which have no width, at least no width of their own. For example, modifiers for other characters. An example of that might be an umlaut. And there are also printing characters with extra width, characters that are wider than a normal single monospace column. In either of those circumstances, the beautiful error messages that get printed to your console used to end up misaligned and now they don't. Typography on computers is really, really hard, it turns out. It's especially hard to get it consistent. Besides the Rust stock changes and those little fixes, there's also one nice optimization win in this release. The compiler learned not to copy some function arguments when they're rebound to local variables. The net of this is that it can decrease the total memory usage in your code, whether your library or your app, by 5-10%. to That's no joke. And it turns out that this optimization, speaking of things I mentioned as large features that we haven't seen many of, well, this optimization is one of many wins that we've gotten out of one of those big ones, Mirror. If you need a refresher on what that is, you can go back and take a look at the first news episode in the podcast where I covered it in some detail. 
Last but not least, the standard library saw a bunch of new impulse stabilized, as well as a few performance bumps of its own. The release notes have the details. Most of these are pretty niche, and in a lot of ways that's a good sign. It means that a lot of things in the standard library aren't in need of huge changes. But, niche or not, you'll be happy if these do affect you. Of course, the average you probably won't be affected by these, but it's nice for those who are. That set of release notes for 123 was pretty quiet, and that's not very surprising. It was the end of the year and people are on holiday. But the quietness of those release notes also doesn't capture just how much was still happening in the last couple months of 2017, because a ton of what was going on was features landing on Nightly, or in a few cases, even starting to march from Nightly towards stabilization as Rust's first impl period wrapped up. If you didn't hear about the impl period, it was a concerted effort over the last quarter of 2017 to focus on implementing all the ideas that had been brought up and figured out throughout the rest of the year. And the impl period was pretty much a smashing success. Contributors all over the ecosystem came together and collaborated to make a ton of progress on the RFCs that had been merged throughout the rest of the year. And as a community, we helped push a bunch of libraries all the way forward to their 1.0 releases as well. One of the most interesting things that this big push included was the beginning of the marker for the next epoch in Rust. If the idea of an epoch isn't something you've heard of, don't worry. As we get closer to it becoming reality, the epoch transition happening, probably 2019, I'll dedicate a whole episode to it. For now, just suffice it to say that we've got some big things coming without doing Rust 2.0. It's pretty cool. Now, for some of the highlights of the work in the language and the compiler, and there was a lot going on, so these are just the bits that caught my eye. I'll link to the wrap-up blog post so you can see everything that happened. First, the non-lexical lifetimes project is in Nightly now, and this project gets rid of several pain points around the borrow checker today, especially things like matching and cases where you can see that you're not using something anymore, but the borrow checker previously wasn't smart enough to do that. Well, now the borrow checker is, in many cases, actually going to be smart enough to do that. There's been a lot written on this over the course of 2017. Some really pretty advanced type and compiler work happened to make this work. So if you're into those things, I'll recommend you go take a look at those blog posts. If not, suffice it to say that the ergonomics around borrowing are going to get better over the course of the first half of 2018, probably. Another big win is that incremental compilation, which went through a bunch of design iterations, is now on Nightly and tracking towards stable. So I'll be talking about this in a lot of detail in the Rust 124 episode next month. Finally, of these things, support for the question mark short circuit return operator in the main function is coming to stable and soon. You haven't normally been able to use the question mark short circuit return operator with result or even more recently option. Because, well, main doesn't return a result or an option. But it's okay, you can set it up to short circuit as of an upcoming release, because that is tracking towards stable. I think, if my math is right, it'll be on stable in 1.25. So that's another thing to look forward to. And again, when that lands, I'll describe the mechanics of how it's been made to work. Beyond those language and compiler efforts, there was also a massive amount of effort that went into improving the surrounding ecosystem for Rust. In particular, the libs blitz, 
that is the Libraries Blitz, involved helping a ton of Rust libraries get to 1.0 quality and indeed for a number of them to ship their 1.0 releases. That was part of the 2017 goal to improve the stability, both actual and perceived, of the library ecosystem. One of those, and a pretty big one, is the Diesel ORM. You can look forward to hearing an interview about that with the creator of Diesel, Sean Griffin, in the next two weeks or so. In general, I would summarize by saying that the impulse period seems to have been, again, a rousing success. I'm really excited by the progress the community made on the language, on the ecosystem, etc. And I can't wait to see how it goes in the next few years as we get better and better at doing this. I figured I would take a look at some of the goings-on in the Rust community at large since the last news episode. Perhaps the most interesting, and certainly the biggest pieces of news since I last recorded a news episode in late November 2017, is that Firefox Quantum shipped. Quantum was a project to replace the entire style rendering engine in Firefox, built in C++ originally, with the new, highly parallelized implementation that was built in Rust originally for the Servo project. This was a pretty massive effort, but it seems to have paid off. Firefox's performance got way better. Some estimates saw it being around twice as fast. And that really couldn't have happened without Rust. As we'll talk about in the upcoming episode 22 on Send and Sync, and as I alluded to when we talked about the archetype back in episode 15, Rust affords us the ability to know that we're managing multi-threaded tasks safely. And that's something that's essentially impossible to do to have that kind of guarantee in C++, because even if you get it all right on the first pass in C++, if you manage to correctly specify for yourself and then write down all of the invariants and make sure they hold, and if you're very skilled and a little bit lucky, you might be able to pull that off, maintaining it, keeping those variants over time will be nearly impossible. In fact, Mozilla had made two previous attempts at parallelizing this style rendering process, both of them in C++, and they abandoned both because they couldn't do it safely and reliably enough. As anyone knows who's done multi-threading, it's hard not to end up with deadlocks or memory races or things like that. With Rust, though, Mozilla managed it successfully, and they did it in a pretty short period of time. This is a huge Rust success story, and it's actually one of the first places for Mozilla itself that its bet on Rust over the last decade is paying off in a big way. As my co-host and I say on my other podcast, doing good work takes time. So props to Mozilla for doing good work over a long period of time with Rust. Making a decade-long bet here that is now yielding dividends both for Mozilla and for a host of other people and companies gets my admiration. I wish more places out there had that kind of vision. One other thing I wanted to highlight is WebAssembly, which continues to gain traction both in small and big ways. On the small and fun side, I've seen a number of small but quite functional apps making their way around the internet written using Rust and WebAssembly. One of those was an implementation of the classic Asteroids game. Another was a password generator. On the slightly larger end of the spectrum, there's a client-side web framework written in Rust now. U, Y-E-W, like the tree, and it's leaning heavily on ideas stolen from Elm and React. You can guess where they got the name U. It's a riff on Elm. U gives you the equivalent of JSX, and it does it by using Rust's macro system. It then compiles to WebAssembly, it uses the standard web crate to do the small amount of DOM interaction required, and you get a pretty nicely performing and frankly pretty nice to look at on the writing it side, bit of web app code. 
This is a young client-side framework, of course, and there's a lot yet to do, but it's still pretty impressive, and I'm really excited, not just for this framework, but for what it heralds about the future of web development. Another bit about the future of web development, and this part is probably at least equally exciting to me personally because of my day job, there's a spike of the Glimmer rendering engine, which is the Ember.js view layer implemented in Rust and WebAssembly. As a result, there's a very good chance that I'll be shipping Rust to production in 2018. Not because I'll be writing Rust myself for work, though of course I would love it if I could find an excuse to do that, but because our app will be shipping it as part of its framework code. And that right there is really the most perfect place for WebAssembly to gain traction. Though, as I noted in a tech talk I gave at work a few weeks ago about Rust, there are other places we might conceivably use it in the future. So here's hoping, right? Summing all of that up in any case about WebAssembly, there's a great post by Michael Gatozzi called Rust and the Case for WebAssembly in 2018. In that post, Michael makes the case that Rust is really well positioned to become the primary language for targeting WebAssembly, and I think he's right. He points out that the same combination of safety and approachability that makes Rust attractive to people who were formerly put off by systems programming in general also means there's an open door here for Rust to become the go-to for someone who writes JavaScript by day and wants to ship something extra speedy to a client app. So I've linked that blog post. You should definitely give it a read. I think Michael articulates that really well. There's one more news item to talk about, and it's not exactly the same as these previous ones. It's forward-looking. In 2017, the Rust core team used the RFC process to establish goals for the year, overarching plans. And as I've noted, I think they paid off pretty handsomely. So for 2018, they're repeating the same approach, but with a wrinkle. In addition to the RFCs to define the roadmap for the year, they've solicited input via blog posts. You can check out the announcement at blog.rust-lang.org, but the short version is, the core team recognizes that writing RFCs is hard, writing a blog post has a lower bar for entry, and it may be accessible to other contributors in other ways. So to quote from the blog post there, these can take many forms, a post on your personal or company blog, a medium post, a GitHub gist, or any other online writing platform you prefer. We're looking for posts on many topics, ideas for community programs, language features, documentation improvements, ecosystem needs, tooling enhancements, or anything else Rust-related you hope for in 2018. And they stuck a grinning smiley emoji in good old plain text on the end of that. And they point to several example posts out there, one of which was the post by Michael Gatozzi, which I mentioned just a moment ago. So if you have ideas or vision, you should write them up. Again, your personal or company blog or on Medium or on GitHub or wherever else and link to it on the relevant threads because you can and you probably should, if you have good things to say, help shape the direction Rust goes in the year ahead. And that's a wrap. But of course, that's plenty. Thanks, as always, to this month's $10 or more sponsors, Aaron Turon, Alexander Payne, Anthony Deschamps, Chris Palmer, Benam Esfabod, Dan Abrams, Daniel Collin, David W. Allen, John Rodnick, Matt Rudder, Nathan Scully, Nick Stevens, Paul Naranha, Peter Tillemans, Olaf Leidinger, Ulushei Sonaya, Ray Flavine, and Vesa Kailavirta. If you're enjoying the show, please let others know about it in person or on social media, or rate and review it in your favorite podcast directory, or if you're feeling especially generous, by sending some financial support my way. 
at patreon.com slash newrustation or via any of a number of other services for giving a one-off, I've listed at the show website, newrustation.com. Neurastation.com also has a script for this episode, along with scripts and code samples for most teaching episodes and transcripts for many of the interviews, and of course, full show notes for every episode. The show is on Twitter, at Neurastation, or you can follow me there, at Chris Kreitcho. Please do tweet at me, with news, topic ideas, and so on. You can also respond in the threads on the Rust user forums, Reddit, or Hacker News, or just send me an email at hello at Neurastation.com. Until next time, happy coding. Right, I'm gonna have to edit all of that out. <laughs>